0: Is found in John chapter 11. Man, what a lengthy passage this is. I have struggled more with this passage this week than I think I have any of these seven signs simply because there's so much meat in here theologically and because the passage is so long. I have been trying to figure out how I can uh, take this thing and make two or three messages out of it, but just kind of grates against me because it is one single story. Uh, Our fancy word that we have learned for that one self-contained story or unit of Scripture is a pericope. And it is indeed one, so it's best to treat it as one. So uh, pray for me as we try to cram all of the theology and all of the truth in this passage into one Sunday morning's message. Let's um, begin by reading it. By the way, uh, we want to remember we've got a good contingency of folk who are on the road uh, this morning. Uh, Colin and Katie and several others are leading a good group of our college students, our BCF students, uh, at a conference in North Carolina. So we want to remember them. But uh, my goodness, if they were here, we'd have a full house. Thank you for your faithfulness. Always an encouragement to see you here. John chapter 11, verse number 1. Here's what John says. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped His feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now wait a minute. It's interesting how famous Mary was in that incident of anointing Jesus' feet and wiping with her hair because John hadn't even told us that story yet. And he uses that as a reference on how to describe who Lazarus was. So can you imagine what that one act of worship and boy, it says something to us. You know what the significance and the impact and the impression that one act of worship can make and the difference it can have on the kingdom of God. I told you this passage was full. It's all I can do, just read through it, let alone try to get one message out of it. Verse number 3, So the sister sent word to him, that is Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he, him whom you love is sick, or he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, He said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when He heard that He was sick, He then stayed two days longer in the place where He was. Then after this, He said to His disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to Him, Rabbi, The Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after he had said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of his sleep. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sake that I was not there, so that you may believe. Let us go to him. Therefore Thomas who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Well, let us also go, so that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know whatever you ask of God, He will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to Him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me lives even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met Him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that she got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw Him and fell at His feet, saying to Him, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And she said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, See how he loved him. But some were saying, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Well, I often hear when you ask folk how they're doing, they'll say something like, Well, considering the circumstances, I'm doing pretty good. Or under these circumstances, I'm doing all right. And it occurs to me that we as believers should never be in a position to where our life is dictated to us by the circumstances in which we are living. As a matter of fact, I think believers are never to be living under the circumstances. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that we are more than overcomers. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. So what in the world are we doing so many times living under the circumstances. Well, I want to speak to you this morning on that very subject, and I want to bring in another twist to it. And the title of the message this morning is Living Above Circumstances Beneath the Surface. Because as I read and read and read and studied this passage this week, this is what seems to come to the forefront in most every instance. About everybody in this passage that we see is living under the circumstances. Life is just running them over. They have no control of it. All they can do is to acquiesce in the hand that life has dealt them. Everybody that is but one. So we're going to look at everybody else and then we're going to look at this one and see how it is that we can live above the circumstances. And here's the bottom line. You can only live above the circumstances when there's something going on in your life beneath the surface. And here's what I find about these surface dwellers in this text, if you will. And they are always missing it. You can tell how superficial everybody in this story is because just about everything that Jesus says, they misunderstand it. They only interpret things according to their face value and according to their their physicality. They interpret all of Jesus' words in the physical realm and they never see the intent of what he's trying to do in using something in the physical realm to teach or explain something in the spiritual realm. So I want to say to us this morning that we, like these surface dwellers, if we don't have something going on deeply within our heart and soul spiritually, we too will live under the illusion that circumstances are our dictators and we can do nothing about them all we can do is just acquiesce into whatever the temperature of the circumstances happens to be so let's look at this passage very quickly if that's possible and see just how it is that we can live above our circumstances I think the scripture points out one thing about all of these surface dwellers and here it is we live under circumstances when we fail to walk in the light. Now notice what it is that Jesus says. I want you to see this in verse number nine. Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the light uh, in the night, excuse me, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So here is the key to living above circumstances. It's walking in the light. And here is one of those analogies where Jesus used something in the physical realm in order to explain and help us see something in the spiritual realm. You see, he used the light analogy of the 12 hours of sunshine in any given day as an analogy in the spiritual realm of walking in the will of God. And friends, if you're walking in the will of God, hear me, there is no way that you can live under circumstances because you're walking in the light. But they didn't even get the analogy, let alone know what he was talking about, walking in the light and being able to do it. They missed the entire picture. So let me show you how it is that these guys failed to walk in the light. How do you know if you're walking in the light or not? By the way, John picks up on this theme. It's one of the key words in his prologue that he uses. He talks about light. He talks about life. He talks about all of these things. It's a key theological word. Then he comes along in his epistle in 1 John in chapter 1 in the introduction to that. He says, now if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. You see, these things had an impact on the apostle John. He can never get away from them. So what does it mean to walk in the light and how do you know if you were walking in the light? And watch this. If you're not walking in the light, there's no way you can live above your circumstances because there's nothing going on in your life beneath the surface. So here we go. Notice, notice uh, these pointers in this passage to let us know how we can tell if we're walking in the light. Number one, we are failing to walk in the light when we are frazzled by busyness. When we are frazzled by busyness. Now, check this out. I want you to see, and let's play this against the disciples' response to the word of Lazarus' impending doom to the response of Jesus. Some of you picked it up because I heard you kind of chuckle when I read it. Notice what it is that the Bible says. Jesus gets word that this man whom he loved, and by the way, Jesus never even refers to him by his name. Most of the time it's just the, the, uh, him whom you loved when they're referring to Jesus. They always refer to him as that person who is an extreme object of your affection and love. Wow. There's a message right there separate from anything else that we're going to say today. Let's pull away from it. Let's extricate ourselves and notice what Jesus did. He got the news of Lazarus' impending death, this guy whom he loved. And in verse number 6 says, So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed there two days longer in the place where he was. You see, here's the difference between walking in the light and not walking in the light. If you're not walking in the light, you allow anything that is urgent that comes into your world that day to interrupt your entire schedule and you go chasing after what seems to be urgent. But when you're walking in the light, you have the ability to discern between what is urgent and what is important. You have the ability to discern between what is good and what is best. And can I say to you that the devil would be happy to have us running around like chickens with our our heads cut off doing good things in Bonifay, Florida as long as we miss the best things. But if we're walking in the light, we'll have the ability to know the difference between good and best, important and urgent. And here's the reality we're going to talk about a little bit later. If you don't determine your own agenda And if you don't walk in the light and know what's important and you respond and you react to what's important, you will be enslaved by urgent things that come into your world every day. Have you ever noticed about how everybody that needs something, it's urgent, it's right now? It's got to be done right now. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. But if you look beneath the surface, you'll find that Probably 90% of the stuff that disguises itself under the umbrella of being urgent must be dealt with today really isn't urgent at all. I love the old, uh, the old adage that says failure to plan on your part doesn't constitute an emergency on my part. But most folk think that whatever issue they're dealing with, that they want you to help them with, is an emergency, it's urgent. But Jesus did not respond simply by the urgency of the request, but he evaluated it in light of its importance in the overarching program of the kingdom of God. Amazing. He stayed there two days longer. You see, Jesus did not live under the tyranny of the urgent. His schedule was not dictated to him by circumstances, but his schedule was dictated to him as he walked in the light of the Father's will my 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 hey if we're frazzled by busyness we are not walking in the light get this here's one symptom here's one sign of knowing that you're not walking in the light if you say things like this man there's just not enough hours in the day and you're not walking in the light you're allowing circumstances to pull you in a hundred different directions rather than walking in the light and seeing what's important and what's best. There's 12 hours. Everybody has the same amount of time in in their days, do they not? Here's the thing about Jesus. He was never frazzled. He was never worn out by circumstances and by urgent things. He walked in the light. And you know, God has put enough time in my day for me to do everything that He has me to do today and get this and do it gracefully for His honor and glory. We are not walking in the light when we're frazzled, when we're pulled in a hundred different directions, and our circumstances manage our schedule more than the light in which we're walking. So, how is it that we live above circumstances? By walking in the light. How do you know if you're not walking in the light? Well, if you're frazzled by busyness, hear me, you're not walking in the light. Number two, we're not walking in the light when we are frightened by threats. Check out verse number eight. The disciple said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you are going there again? You see, here were the guys who were not walking in the light. They were not getting it. There was nothing going on beneath the surface. And they are ordering their schedule based upon threats that they are receiving. So what do they want if they're not walking in the light? They're walking in the darkness and their circumstances are dictated to them by fear or their movements are dictated to them by fear and what other folks are doing and what other folks are saying. And Jesus said, no, no, we're not going to live our lives based on the fear of threats that we are receiving we live our lives based on walking in the light by walking in the will of God. So I wonder, man, if fear is what is dictating our movements, and what we're doing during the day and in our schedule and on our day planner, And we probably back up and take a, an evaluation of where we're walking. Number three, we're not walking in the light when we're frazzled by busyness, when we're frightened by threats number three when we focus on the worst possible outcome oh boy this is difficult for me because my natural tendency is to be the pessimistic prophet I think my favorite saying in life is well I could have told you that was gonna happen (laughs) you know I mean that's just my nature and I have to fight against that all the time because I will I'll focus on the worst possible outcome and Heather on the other hand is the eternal optimist so you can imagine Uh, how the conversation goes a lot of times. But notice how they focus on the worst possible outcome. Verse number 16, Thomas said to him, Thomas the twin said, All right, let's go with him so that we can die too. I mean, what what a good outlook, huh? What trust in Jesus. What faith in God's will. I mean, good night. (laughs) The least you can say for him is that at least he was willing to die with Christ, huh? I mean, you can say that he was more willing to die with Christ than he was to live without Him. So let's give credit where credit is due, but at the same time, he had no clue of what walking in the light meant. He had no clue that as long as he was walking in the will of God, it really didn't matter. (laughs) So he was walking in the light. All right, how do you know if you're walking in the light? When we focus on the worst possible outcome, we're not walking in the light. Next When we are frustrated with Jesus' apparent delay. Check this out. Both of these girls said this. They repeated verbatim. You know what that tells me? It tells me they probably talked about it before Jesus got there. They probably, as they hugged one another and cried, they both probably said, If Jesus would have just been here. We sent him word in plenty enough time. I don't understand why he's not here. If he would have been here... He could have prevented this entire thing from happening. You ever been frustrated with the Lord because you felt like His response to your request wasn't what it should have been? Hey, let me ask you another question. You ever just been mad at God? Yes. <laughs> that's right. If we don't say yes, we lie, and the truth is not in us. <laughs> but yeah, that's exactly right. A lot of times we think that we know best, and God, if you would just take your instruction from me we'd be a whole lot better off. And here these girls were, they were kind of frustrated with Jesus' apparent delay and His apparent unconcern for their situation. Notice what else. It goes even farther with these folks that saw Him open the blind man's eyes. They say, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? boy in that is the age-old argument that says, you know, if if he opened the blind man's eyes, he could have done this. And here's their argument. If he's good and all-powerful, why didn't he do this? Maybe he's one or the other, but not both. Maybe he's all-powerful, but not good. Or maybe he's good, but he's not all-powerful. It's one of the most age-old atheistic arguments that the world has known. No, listen, he is both good and omnipotent but He doesn't work according to our schedule. He doesn't live under circumstances. He lives because He is the light. And He works according to the light and to His perfect will. Number next, we're, we are not walking in the light when we're frustrated with Jesus' apparent delay. Number two, or number the last one, we're not walking in the light when we have faith regarding the future and the past. But write this in but not the present. You ever been there? Man, I think this is my home address. I think this is where I live. Notice what it is that they said in verse number 24. Martha said to him, Lord, I, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You know, th- there is not a one of us in this building that would disavow the fact that Jesus is coming back in glory and majesty one day. Oh, he's going to us, a part of our faith. We have faith that he's going to work off out there in the future. But notice what else they said. They said in verse number 37, they they took note of the last sign that he did and opening the eyes of that man that was born blind, they said he did that in the past. They believe he's going to do it in the future. They believe he did it in the past, but I don't know if he's going to do it today or if he can do it today or not. You ever been there? you know what I find about myself I can speak with authority about what the Lord's going to do in your life but when it comes to my own circumstances I don't have that same authority it's just part of the fallen nature that we have to fight against listen here's what the Bible says Jesus Christ the same yesterday today and forever he has not lost any power his goodness is not diminished if he's going to do it in the future he can do it today if he did it in the past, he can do it today. The son walking in the light lives with the expectancy. Jesus gave them every opportunity to have a vibrant expectancy that something's great is going to happen in this graveyard today. And nobody picked up on it. They fought him tooth and nail to the very last moment. No, don't open that stone. And he just had to buck against them and do what he wanted to do because nobody said, Lord, we're going to pull up a front row chair here and we're going to watch what you do. They believed he could do it in the future. They believed he did it in the past. but They were a little bit more hesitant to think he's going to do it today. Hey, Grace Church, do you think he's going to do it today? I think he is. We've just got to believe that. If not, we're not walking in the light. Well, here we go. We live above our circumstances. We live under our circumstances when we fail to walk in the light. Now let's bounce this off of Jesus and what He did. Because Jesus is the quintessential example of walking in the light. Jesus lived above circumstances. Here's why. Because of His orientation and relation with the Father. All through this you see Jesus interacting with God the Father. Let me show you something that catches my eye as we talk about His relation. Number one, we see His potent prayer life. Check out verse number 42. Here's what he said when Jesus prayed. He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now, here's what's important about that verse. Notice, Jesus is praying presently, but he cast his language in past tense. You know what that tells me? That tells me that Jesus didn't wait till he got to the tomb to check and see if this was the Father's will. Oh no, he'd already been in touch with God the Father long before he stood before that tomb. You see, he had talked with God as soon as he got word that Lazarus was sick. What that tells me, man, tells me he had a potent prayer life. He wasn't one of those guys that just flew by the seat of his pants. He'd already checked with God. He knew what God's will was. He knew what the heart of God was on this issue. The very moment he got the request, come across his desk. Because of his prayer life, so now he says, "Lord, I, Father, I, I know that you heard me." And he says, "Look, look how he continues to cast this in the past. I knew that you always hear me. You see."